Hello and welcome back to the Elevate Music podcast, dedicated to helping musicians improve their health and well-being in partnership with Help Musicians. I'm Lucy Heyman and in this episode we're going to be talking about diversity and in particular women in music and ethnicity. The reason we wanted to focus on these topics was because UK Music published a diversity report at the end of 2020 and they found that these two areas needed the most attention. As a result, I'll be speaking later to Vic Bain, researcher and founder of the F-List, which is a database for female musicians. Vic told me some pretty shocking statistics about the lack of female artists signed to labels and publishing companies and what she's trying to do about it. Coming up, I also spoke to rapper Lady Sanity about her experiences in music as a black female artist in a predominantly male genre. And she also spoke about some of the prejudice she faced in music education. But first, I wanted to hear from UK Music directly about their findings in the diversity report and was very fortunate to speak to the man behind it, Amo Talwa. Although the research was focused on the music business task force and not specifically artists, the findings have implications for artists and musicians across the board, as we will hear. So here's Amo. What we realised, especially in the last four years in the music industry, race and gender, are huge issues that we need to overcome. Those were the two areas that the task force wanted to really, really focus in on. Not that we were not paying attention to disability or LGBT or age, but actually we felt that we needed to have a bit of a focal point and for 2020 and race and gender became that focal point. Uh, So we really wanted to hone in on What's happening when it comes to senior positions at record labels? I'll just, you know, use that as an example. Or how good is it when it comes to interns for Black and Asian and diverse communities? You know, how good or bad is it? So we we pulled together a survey that went out in June and it came back with some interesting analysis. And then data is one thing, but ultimately you need need to look at lived experience and you need to have some different voices. So what we did was we looked at the data from the survey that came in and we worked, we had some focus groups. And then obviously the last nine months have been hugely complex in terms of not just COVID, but what's happened with the Black Lives Matter movement and George Floyd. Some of the interesting data that we collected If you look at ethnicity and age, which you can refer back to in the report, which is on the UK Music website, we had a real high concentration of diverse young people coming in at 16 to 24, but it reduces when it comes to more senior positions. So we knew we had to create intervention. There's more women that work in the music industry, but we don't hold them for long enough. There's a real drop when it comes to diverse communities and senior positions. So we have to look at injecting either some training courses or some retention courses. And then, you know, the big one was the disparity in pay. Gender pay gap was quite big. So we had to look at, well, if the data is telling us that, you know, women are not perhaps getting as paid as well as men, we have to act on that. So we had all these data and statistics and facts, and then we put together an action plan. Having more women in your company is better for the bottom line. Often people think, oh, well, what am I going to do? The the evidence is there. It's the same with race as well. So I think musicians often create the best types of music in the most diverse or complex positions. If you trace the history of jazz or hip-hop, a lot of it was about struggle or diversity of opinion or diversity of thought. And so hopefully the survey will help shape not just workforce, but it will 
place, better environments for musicians. I'll use the studio for as an example. What we're trying to do is get more women in studios as studio engineers. So hopefully artists, especially female artists, will feel more comfortable about recording. And so therefore the likelihood that they'll make better compositions. So therefore the likelihood they'll get signed and play on festivals. So actually it affects the whole lineage of gender. How does the diversity of, say, an A&R team affect what music they sign? During the last 12 months, we've spoken a lot about blind spots and echo chambers. And so if you have, have an A&R team that's predominantly men, there's a blind spot, there's a sound, there's a sonic that you're probably not listening to. So what we're trying to do ultimately is be really honest about ourselves, and talk about if you have diverse teams, you can have diverse music coming into an A&R team, into a publishing house, into uh, studios that are far more reflective of society rather than having quite a mono perspective. We don't want our labels and the music that comes out of the UK to be monocultural. And there are some really, really interesting changes already happening not just at labels, but also at board levels. So we've seen major changes in some of the trade bodies, PPL, the Ivers, the Brits, the BPI. They've all radically changed their approach around governance and diversity. I think labels have changed. So, you know, if you look at new positions that have occurred in the last two or three months, Atlantic have had new A&R, Motan have just resurrected themselves Polydora doing some interesting things. Warner Chapel have, you know, brought more women in. So there are changes. And then from an organisational perspective, there's some really good stuff, not just happening in London, but People Dem in Margate are doing some really interesting stuff. Saffron in Bristol are doing some amazing stuff around gender. Uh, Lymph, the Music Academy, are doing some really good stuff. Tin Arts in Coventry. So you're getting all these organisations that are not changing because of the diversity survey and the report on the action plan but changing because modern britain needs to move and reflect the citizens that it serves the 10 point plan has really energized people so can you tell me a bit about that 10 point plan what are the key areas that you think the music industry needs to work on there's a few things that we felt were really quick wins so things like you know rid of the word urban getting rid of acronyms that diverse communities are not that Ofay with, so, you know, eradicate BAME, for instance. Things like, you know, tell us who's responsible and accountable in your organisation for the change. Because often, if everybody's responsible, no one's responsible. So we want accountability on actions. We want people to spend money on things like recruitment. So, Lucy, if you work for a company and you all look like Lucy's, there's like 10 of you, we want you to look at yourselves and go, well, do you think having 10 Lucy's is a good thing or how do we get someone who's a bit different? And that's about recruitment. That's about looking beyond your own echo chamber. I think we need to train and keep our diverse staff. So we have retention. It's metrics based. So we need to look at transparency when it comes to gender pay gap. So at the moment, legislation says you only have to talk to government if you employ more than 250 people. We're trying to reduce that to 50. We're saying organisations, look beyond yourselves. Look at companies that are already engaging. So if you have a problem with race, gender, disability, look to those organisations that are already working in these areas. And then we put some metrics 
and some targets around governance and senior positions. So if you go to the reports on pages 20 and 21, it's an action plan that we're going to hold all the trade bodies to account. And the good thing is every year we'll have a bit of a, an assessment on how people have done. So there's no way you can get around it in terms of the actions that have come out of the survey and the nine months. We've also co-designed this as well. So it's not just gone around with our hammers bashing you over the head with diversity and saying, oh, Lucy, you need to do this because you're not very good at disability. We've just said, look, we need to collaborate. We need to work together. And diversity for us is always better done together rather than done to. So there's been a lot of collaboration and co-design in the 10-point plan. So obviously in the music industry, we have a lot of freelancers working in the workforce and obviously a lot of musicians are freelancers. How can freelancers help to support this work? First and foremost, I think there needs to be a freelancers union or a trade body. A lot of the really clever people that we work with, they're all freelancers and they've been left out in the cold on some government interventions. Secondly, I think freelancers should be using the 10-point plan almost as a code of practice for companies that they work for. So this is a really good starting point. If you're freelancing in Manchester on the next wave of you know making music in studios, it's something that you can really hold people to account for and just ask really simple questions because the trade bodies have signed up for this. So somewhere down the line, the employer or the person who employs the freelancer will have a connection to one of the trade bodies. So you can start asking questions around, you know, the things perhaps that you wouldn't ask historically. You know, I'm a disabled artist. Do you have an access provision for disabled artists in studios? You know, what's your, the makeup of your board, et cetera, et cetera. It's something that people can use. And it sounds like amazing work that you've done. Do you have any plans to expand out into disability in the future? Well, it's a really good question. So I, I think there's other protected characteristics that we are working with companies who are experts on that. So attitude is everything. These guys are experts around disability. They've been doing it for 15, 20 years. They know far more than ourselves, even as a task force. So we're, we're working closely with these multiple agencies to make sure that we're not negating LGBT, age, disability. But for these two years, we had to have a focus on gender and race. And I think the statistics and the actions that are happening globally work well with the mission statement that we, we came up with. So Ammo, in the future, if you were to see some change on the ground that told you that things had improved significantly, what would it be? What would it look like? I'm, I'm a fan of what you see is the makeup of what's going on. So I think in the music industry, for us to be sustainable, we just need to be more reflective of the society we live in. So, you know, they say that 14% is non-white in the UK. We need to be reflective of that. If it's 40% in cities, we need to be reflective of that. So in its broadest range, we need to be more reflective of that and understanding of all the areas that humans are working in and around and all the conditions that they live in. We need to respect that. We need to support it and we need to move forward collectively. So even if we don't know much about race or disability or being pregnant or all the other protected characteristics, we work with people who are experts and we listen. I think the biggest learning curve that we've had in the last year was the ability to be able to listen. 
That was UK Music's Amo Talwa, and if you want to read that diversity report, we've included the link in the show notes. We'd like to thank Help Musicians for their support in bringing you this episode. They're an independent charity that has been supporting musicians for nearly 100 years. Through an integrated programme of health and welfare, creative funding opportunities and business support, the charity offers a lifetime of support when it's needed most. For more information on Help Musicians or to find out how to access support, visit helpmusicians.org.uk. Lady Sanity is a Midlands-based rapper with a global audience. She performed at the Commonwealth Games in Australia a couple of years ago, and the event was streamed to over a billion people. But she's had her fair share of challenges to get to this point. I did some work with Lady Sanity in 2018, and it was an absolute pleasure to speak to her again about her experiences as a black female artist in music. Here's Lady Sanity. Can you tell me a bit about your career so far? I started making music over 10 years ago. I went down the educational route. So I went to university and college and studied music and music technology. Although I'm a rapper and getting into, you know, the educational side isn't really something that's pushed. It's something that I wanted to do for myself, being a young black woman and knowing that there's not much representation of black women in the educational side and also in the tech side of music. So I really made a push to make sure I knew all the different bits and bobs happening. After I left university with a a Bachelor of Science degree, I then, yes, started pushing on more of my live stuff and and working on my sound. And yeah, that's pretty much where I am today. I've done a few bits and bobs. I represented Birmingham in the 2018 Commonwealth Games over in Australia. I've been nominated for various different awards. And yeah, that's where I am today. (laughs) So can we go back to before your studies and you said you knew that there wasn't much diversity representation in the educational sector. And can you tell me just a bit about your experiences even before you studied? I'm the youngest of a good like 15 grandkids. So I was always being shown like, you know, the latest music videos and even like little clips of studio sessions in the set and the other when you go like behind the scenes of artists and stuff that my cousins used to watch on YouTube and I think from very early on even though I probably didn't pick it up it's just kind of subliminally seeing it that the only time I really saw black women in music was when they you know were the main focus or the actual artists I don't really see much with them you know being behind the scenes or being in the studio or in music videos where they were shown in, you know, the quite, you know, over-sexualized way. And to me, I don't know, seeing that from early on, I was kind of like, well, what if I didn't want to go down that route? Where are the, you know, the women that are doing the things behind the scenes? Where are the women that aren't showing themselves in a certain light? So I think just seeing that from, from early on and seeing it constantly, it kind of just made me want to be in those spaces more and also made me more curious as to what do you do to get into these spaces. So yeah, I think it was just my own curiosity and seeing it time and time again and not seeing that representation that made me want to delve a little bit further into it. And how was the experience of education? It was interesting (laughs) to say the least, but yeah, a lot of the time I was the only woman or only black person in a lot of my classes. I mean, Uh, for at least the first two years in university I was definitely the only black girl in my classes and there was probably only like two other girls on the whole course so that was interesting and then as well in in sixth form I came up in an area that's considered you know not the best and but because my grades were so well I then got put forward to quite a good sixth form so even going to a nicer area to study even seeing the kids there like I, I there weren't any black kids studying the traditional 
side of music. I just think it's something that's not really pushed. I mean, I know education in music and stuff isn't really being pushed forward as a whole because they want young kids to study more on the, you know, the English, math, science, which is great, but we need that creative outlet too. So there wasn't really much of a push as a whole on that. And so how does that impact you being in a room if you're the only woman and the only black woman? Um, I think at first it's a kind of thing where sometimes you second guess yourself quite a lot. Like, did I make the right choice? Is this even the right space for me to be in? But then as we started getting into the work and I noticed that, you know, I do know a lot of stuff and this is something that I enjoy. Then it gave me all the justification that I needed to be there. So what has your experience been as a professional black female artist in the music industry? It probably comes with its pros and cons, but I think doing the education side probably did prepare me a bit better because, again, a lot of the time I am, you know, either the only woman or the only black woman in the room. So, you know, you go to soundcheck, all the people in my band are guys. Sound engineer, nine times out of 10 is a guy. (laughs) And a lot of the time it is men behind the scene. A lot of the time there aren't many black people about the scene as well. So I think, yeah, I was prepared for it because I've already, I've already seen, seen that side in education. So in a way, it's like upsetting that it still rings true across the whole field. But at the same time, it makes me want to push more to see more of that representation, to see young black girls, you know, Mm. take interest in the sound tech side and the sound engineering side or get more into the business side of music, the promotions, events, all that kind of stuff. So again, like it prepared me, but it also just made me want to push that more. In your experience, how many female sound engineers have you come across? Ooh, it's definitely less than five. Probably two that I can strongly remember. I I took part in a um, women in music course last year with Birmingham Town Hall Symphony Hall. And there was an amazing producer and sound engineer called Emma V. And I got a chance after that to to work in a studio in Leeds with her for like a week. She's one of them that I can remember. And then other than that, I remember there was a lady in university that used to um, handle like, you know, the renting out of mics and equipment and stuff. And she used to help us out in the studio every now and again but I think yeah off the top of my head those are probably the only two people that I can remember ever coming across. We've heard from Ammo about what's going on in the major record labels and trade bodies. What's it like on the ground as an artist? I think being an artist from Birmingham it's frustrating more than anything. It does get to a point when you're an artist where it's like well I've gigged in all these different venues I feel like I've met you know majority of the people that I feel like I need to meet here how do I move forward? How do I kind of level up as an artist? And unfortunately, a lot of artists from here then just kind of take the plunge and, and move elsewhere, um, nine times out of 10 be in London. But yeah, you do get to a point of frustration and it's like, I don't know where to go next. It's almost like you're hitting a glass ceiling. So we've heard about the percentages from the survey that they did in terms of the representation in the music industry task force. What do you think those percentages would be if they were to replicate it in artists from what you've experienced? I reckon the numbers would be fairly low. I think I've seen quite a few stats come out recently. I know there's been a massive push in particular for women producers to Mm. come forth and, and, you know, and quite a lot of the guys that I know have actually like put together like sample packs and things like that to kind of encourage and inspire women producers because they're doing these sample packs but they're saying we're only giving them out to you know women or or people that identify as women that want to produce Mm -hmm. so I I still think the numbers will be fairly low. 
Can you tell me about your experiences as a female rapper? So as a female rapper, you're in quite male-dominated spaces all the time. It's very rare, especially when you're on the road, it's very rare that you come across another woman, unfortunately. I remember doing a panel actually in Leicester and a young lady that does a lot of the kind of unpacking and stuff like that when it comes to, to gigging. And she was like, she made sure that she was in that side of the field because she knows how it feels to be the only woman on like a seven day, you know, 14 day tour. And it is comforting, you know, say for example, if there's a, a young girl doing her first tour, you know, for her to be that go-to, the only woman there to talk to about certain things or, you know, to be more comfortable around her. What's that experience like? If you're the only woman on a tour, presumably you've got to be pretty tough. Like you've got to be a certain type of person yeah. to be able to deal with that. Yeah, especially because you, I, I, I'm sure everybody's experienced this before. You know, there's it's always a bit of a boys club and, you know, you don't want to feel like, I mean, I've seen it myself, but sometimes the guys will act a different way towards me. And it's not a disrespectful way, but, you know, they'll be a bit more polite or they'll make laughs and jokes about things. But then when it comes to me, or they'll apologize for making jokes in front of me. And I'm like, you know, that doesn't matter. Like, I'm still, you know, I'm still cool. Like, I'm still down to like crack jokes with you guys. But being the only woman, it's tough because you don't want to be excluded in any type of, I don't know, you know what I mean? Like getting to know each other and all that type of stuff. So it, it's a tough one. And then, you know, there are certain things that come on, come on board and you do want to talk to another woman and yeah. you can't talk to guys about certain things. So it's a tough one. So Amo spoke about how they've got this 10 point plan and they're going to go into companies and try and get the companies to improve diversity, you know, all around this 10 point plan. Obviously, for self-employed artists, it's a bit different. What kind of changes would you like to see? What, how do you think the industry could improve the experience for a black female artist? I think one of the ways is kind of similar to what I mentioned earlier with what Town Hall Symphony Hall are doing, where they're encouraging women to come on board and try different things. So, you know, try producing or, you know, just shed light on them because this is a thing. It's not to say that there aren't many women producers out there it's probably just a case of they're not confident enough because it just seemed like a boys club. They're not confident enough to, you know, step up and actually say like, I'm a woman and I produce type mm -hmm. thing. So it's really just shedding a light on these people. And I think programs like that, that are, you know, motivating young people to come forward or just, you know, try things out and gain an interest will really help move things forward and create a balance, a level playing field for everyone. So I, I definitely feel like programs like that and probably getting into schools as well would, would help a lot. And what about from the ethnicity point of view? Again, it's probably just going into schools where, you know, things like that aren't pushed on the curriculum or, you know, as additional activities, because I've seen it as well. Like the amount of opportunities that I saw when I went into the sixth form that was in a better area, they really take things like drama and music and all that type of stuff. They take it just as seriously and put as much time and care into it as say like they would with maths. Maybe that's because when you get into the kind of inner city areas or, you know, the worst schools that aren't producing great results, it's like there's more of a push to make sure they're getting their, you know, English, maths and science. So there's going to be more of a push on that and less on the creative sector. So I understand why, but at the same time, I, I feel like those kids definitely need programs and things within schools that are showing that side because not every kid will shine in maths, English and science. So they need their chance and, you know, they need their chance to show what they're good at. 
What do you think can be done when an artist is at a professional level in terms of supporting diversity in things like festival lineups, gig lineups, all that kind of thing? This is a thing. It's, it's kind of a hard one because I've seen people try to tackle it with, you know, um, all female lineups. And even with that, it's great when you do them and it's great when you're on them. But even so, it seems like a very like one moment type thing. So it's like, oh, we've got a stage dedicated to women. It's creating a division. So I, I don't really know how much good that really does. But in terms of festivals and, and gigs in general, definitely to, to try and make it balanced, you know, if not more balanced than it currently is, because I'm sure everybody's seen like, you know, the festival posters year in, year out where they take away the men and it's like three women just on the poster. So um, I think just more inclusion, because again, it's not like there's a lack of women doing music across the field, whether that's, you know, indie bands or singers or rappers there's an incredible wave of female rappers coming up right now so again I think it's just being able to to shine the light on them and having a level of inclusion that was Lady Sanity and if you want to check out her music we've put a link to her latest EP in the show notes I've got to say I was pretty shocked to hear that in 10 years she's only worked with two female sound engineers and I really hoped things had improved more than this My final guest is working hard to change this. The brilliant Vic Bain is a researcher and created a database of female artists, engineers and producers that anyone in the industry can access if they're looking to book more women. Let's hear from Vic. So you've recently set up the F-List. Can you tell me a little bit about it? It's a growing directory of UK female musicians it covers all genres of music. So I think they're now over four and a half thousand female musicians and bands with women in them who are now listed. And every day, more and more women are joining. And so what inspired you to set it up? It was a bit of a, a journey, actually, a bit of a process. It didn't come to me all at once. It just sort of organically developed. Most of the data came from research that I did last year, which I published in October last year called Counting the Music Industry. And that was a gender audit that I undertook of over 300 UK record labels and music publishing companies. So I was very interested in in looking at the statistics and finding out the statistics, which were pretty awful, by the way. It transpires that only 14% of those who are signed to music publishing companies are women, and only 20% of artists are musicians. So that, yeah, that was really shocking. But in the process of doing that research, I realized that I had then a, a pretty good record of female musicians and bands with women in them. So early last year, I decided to extract all of that information and make it a public Google sheet. And this was primarily with the the aim of ensuring that all of the festivals, which were all at that point still going to happen, all of the, the festival promoters and event promoters could have a place to look to get ideas for booking women on the stages. Because All of the posters were doing the rounds on social media again, as they do year upon year. All of these posters with the with the men's names and the the, you know the bands with men in them stripped out, and then there's you know a couple of names, female names, languishing at the bottom of the posters, and that's about it. People would very helpfully suggest, oh well, I know a woman, I know a female DJ, or I know a band with women in them, and I thought, gosh, well I know more than one or two. I've 
got a record of thousands of them. So I'll make this public, just give it to all of the festival and event, event promoters so they know where to go. And then about a, w- a week or so after I made that public, lockdown happened. And then everything, everything, so everything was cancelled. So, uh, you know, I thought, well, what, what shall I do in lockdown? I know I'll put this into a proper website and I'll make a, you know, a searchable, searchable by instrument, searchable by genre, searchable by location in the UK. So that's what I published just three weeks ago. Could we go back to your research counting the music industry? Can you tell me a little bit more about the data around the amount of artists and songwriters and producers that there are in the industry? So did you say it's it's 14% of writers and 20% of artists? Exactly. And anyone who wants to look at my research, I've got a 50-odd page report that they can download from, from my personal website, vbain.co.uk. So that's, uh, I think, really interesting if people want to get into the, into the granular methodology and so on. So what was really interesting was for the songwriters and composers looking at different genres, there was only, you know, a one percentage difference between popular songwriters, songwriters for screen and television and classical composers. So it was all it was all around 13, 14, 15%. And I think that was about twelve and a half thousand writers. And I was just looking at current writers, writers who were in copyright as well, not centuries, not centuries past, because I knew that would be very, very distorting. I was interested in what is it like to be a female writer or musician right now? So I was looking at contemporary and with the the record labels the same. I didn't look at record labels who focus on catalogue. I was looking at current rosters. And with the musicians, it was about 18,000 musicians that I looked at. What was really interesting about the record labels is I broke that down into eight different genres and there was some quite extreme genre differentiation. So the best genres to be a female musician in was classical. So that was just over 30% of those rosters were, were women. And then the next best was folk. And then it was pop music and then indie, electronic, jazz, heavy metal, grime and drum and bass were the worst at 5%. So, you know, I I sort of go explore the reasons for why this is in my research. And that's all to do with what we deem as masculine. That's really interesting to me that there's certain categories of music which are very, very exclusionary to women. And it's the heavier, darker, the drum and bass and the heavier metal and the grime. Those those musical genres are very, very exclusionary to female musicians. I found 29 record labels who had no women signed to them at all. And there were dozens more who had just one woman signed to them. So the the token woman. And I hear again and again from female musicians who say, yeah, you know, I've been turned down from this label. They said they were really interested, but they already had a woman on their roster. So they weren't allowed to have any more. (laughs) And there could be dozens of male acts. I got really quite tired of seeing, you know, the male singer songwriter or the male DJ or, you know, the four guys in a band with their guitars. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them, and that's fine. But with women, the, you know, there's a lot more higher expectations. You, you know, they're told they're told by a lot of labels, yeah, we've we've already got that woman, or you sound too much like another female actor. Therefore, you know, we can't we can't possibly have you. But those same standards are not are not applied to men. 
how can we as an industry encourage festivals and venues to commit to a more balanced gender lineup? There has been some necessary calling out from certain campaigners and, and, and individuals and these posters I was, I was talking about, which do, which do the rounds. I think also a lot of it has been unconscious. And maybe a lot of these event promoters, you know, they come from a music industry of a few decades ago when they've got their own network and the, you know, the agencies they work they work with in the in the certain the certain labels, and they've just been sort of fishing in quite a small pond. And now, hopefully, you know, I've given them a tool to allow them to look look beyond that. So when I first published the list in February. I think I had about 3,000 names on that list. And now it's over 4,500. Since the relaunch, I've had over 350 women sign up and create, and create listings and put their details on it. So that it's, so it's just growing and growing. So I think it's just, yeah, it's about encouragement and also, you know, fans and consumer power. I see it on social media. There are, you know, lots and lots of women out there who say, I'm just not interested in going to a festival where there are no women performing anymore. You know, I'm going to use my consumer power to make a point. So I think that's really going to start to become, become more, more of an issue. And it's just morally the right thing to do. You know, I mean, who wants to be responsible for, you know, for booking a festival where it's literally just all men? How interesting is that? <laughs> so I think, you know, there are lots of campaigns going on, you know, just some amazing female campaigners out there with loads of initiatives, which are brilliant, which are all looking at different areas, you know, to encourage more female composers, to encourage more female DJs or producers, or get more women played on radio stations, or you know, get more women signed to labels, and get more women booked to play on, on festival stages. So I think together, there are quite a few dozen brilliant campaigns and initiatives. I think together, we're starting to have a snowball effect and starting to make a difference. I'm going to do another counting the music audit in 2024 so it will be five years since since the last one and I'm really hoping that there's going to be some significant change in some of those areas. That was Vic Bain and if you're a female musician and you haven't already signed up to the F list head to the show notes where we've put a link to the website. If you've been affected by a diversity issue in music, send us an email at elevatemusicpod at gmail.com or find us on social media at elevatemusicpod and let us know. Thanks to Ammo, Lady Sanity and Vic for sharing some really important findings with me. There's also still a lot of pandemic support and funding available for musicians, so check out the list of what you can access in the episode show notes. You've been listening to the Elevate Music Podcast with me, Lucy Heyman. Last year, I wrote a book on how to have a healthy and successful career in music with journalist Rianne Jones. The book is called Sound Advice and it's been funded and supported by some of the biggest names in music. It's out on the 28th of February and if you'd like to find out more, check out soundadvicebook.com and follow us on social media at soundadvicebook for a discount code. This podcast was produced by Elevate Music and Listen Entertainment in partnership with Help Musicians, an independent charity which provides essential and enduring support to make a meaningful difference to the lives of professional musicians. Thanks for listening. And remember, you can access support and more information about the topics discussed in our episode show notes.